you guys want to stand and join me? Father God, we praise you. We welcome you into the space. We pray that you would um, wake us up from our mornings, from our nights, our restless nights, but you also wake us up from maybe any spiritual sleepiness that we have, God. Would you uh, ignite our souls on fire today? Would we be filled with your presence and be empowered by you, by you, Lord? Would you be the focus of our, of our time today? In Jesus' name, amen.
Welcome to Discovery Community Church. I'm so glad you're here. We got a little, uh, there we go, we got a little background music. (laughs) Well, welcome this morning. I'm so thankful to see your faces and to welcome you here. My name is Star, and I get to be your host this morning. And I want to just tell you a little bit about what to expect. Um, We're in a few minutes, we're going to continue worshiping. We'll get uh, a good word from our teacher today. It's Jesse. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And we're continuing the series Contagious, which has been so good and so rich and uh, kind of appropriate for these post-COVID days that we're in. We know what it's like to be contagious, but this is contagious in a good way. So we're learning just how to have a spreadable faith, to really have a true um, faith that's lived out loud, that people see and actually want to catch from us. Isn't that great? So we're going to continue that today. We're also going to be taking communion together, which I'm so excited about. And, you know, um, we'll talk a little bit more about this as the service gets going, but it doesn't really matter what church that you belong to. As long as you're a believer, we want to celebrate and remember what Christ did for us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that will be coming up later in our service. We're also going to be worshiping through giving back to God, and that's our time of of giving of our tithes and offerings. If you're new today, though, um, what we would ask that you're offering be is just a simple little connection card that we have. And we actually ask everyone to fill this out, not just our, our visitors and our guests, but those who have been at our, in our body for a long time. It's a great way to share your prayer requests or any interest that you might have. And uh, there might be a few things that we mention later in the service that you might want to write down on here and just let us know how you're doing and how we can support you. We'll close out uh, with a little bit more prayer and singing and a couple more announcements from me. The other thing that I want you guys to know about, besides connections cards, is that um, our fall launch is coming up. And there's an invitation in your, yep, yeah, let's clap for fall launch. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) For the rest of you, you might be like, what is fall launch? I'm not sure. So in two weeks from today, two weeks from today, that's October 8th, we are kind of officially kicking off, just like at the beginning of school, right? We're kicking off all of our fall programs, and this is a great opportunity. If you know a neighbor that just hasn't gotten plugged into a church yet, invite them. It is a wonderful time that we'll be, we're, we're laying, we're cleaning the house, and we're getting ready for company, you guys. So October 8th, bring company, bring your guests, and uh, we'll have a lot of uh, things to celebrate as a body, but also a lot of things that will be kicking off. And so it's a perfect time to invite those that you know might need to get plugged in. So that's in your worship folder. So hang on to this. You can even get more if you want, but this is a great opportunity to, to invite someone and hand them this. So it's not for you. Don't put it on your fridge. Give it away. That's what I want to tell you right now. Okay. Third, this is the biggest thing of all. We save the best for last. Today, we're launching small groups. So this is the beginning of small groups. That's right. Maybe, how many of you are already in a small group? Okay, so we got some plugged in people here. Ours actually just met this week, so I'm kind of feeling like we're a little on top of it because we kind of snuck one in before lunch. But um, if you are not, if you have not joined a small group yet, you have come on the right Sunday. We are highlighting small groups, and later in the service, I'm actually going to bring a few of the leaders up to just talk to you so you get to hear their hearts about uh, why small groups are such a big deal to them. Um, And honestly, you guys, as much as we're so thankful that you're here today on, on Sunday to do church, that really church happens best and deepest in our small groups, in real community where you're meeting outside of just this Sunday to talk about real life and kind of wrestle through faith and encourage one another and sharpen one another together. So I'm excited for all that today 
brings. But most of all, I'm really excited that we get to worship together this morning. And so let's just continue our time worshiping the Lord together. There's a name that levels mountains Carves out highways through the sea I've seen its power unravel battles In front of me There's a faith that stands defiant Sends Goliath to his knees. I've seen us praise unraveled shackles right off my feet. Cause that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break. And there is healing. That's the power that I claim It's the same that ruled the great There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus There's a hope that calls out courage In the furnace unafraid That kind of daring expectation That every prayer I make Is on an empty grave that's the power of the Just the mention makes a way To the enemy's camp You still do miracles You will do what you say For you're the same God now That you've always been You believe that, church? I see you taking ground I see you press ahead Your power is dangerous To the enemy's camp 
Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you today and worship and praise and celebrate this morning with each other as a family. Thank you that you are for us. You are not against us. And this morning, we can have open hearts and open minds to learn and to grow closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. My name is Jesse. How you guys doing? Good. Um, man, I have the joy of sharing with you some Bible today, but also sharing communion with you this morning. Um, communion is a special thing. Um, I actually had a great conversation with one of our high school students today about communion, and he asked, like, does communion really matter, right? Like, is it just a bread, a piece of bread and a, and a little cup of juice? And so we had a really good conversation, I think, before we started, but I want to read um, out of the book of Luke, because we're going to be in the book of Luke forever, so I figured we might as well do communion there as well. Um, It's the first Lord's Supper, and it says this, when the hour came, Jesus, he reclined at the table, and when the apostles with him, then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's this moment before Jesus suffers. He sits with his closest friends. He says, do this thing. That's important. Right? If this is a, a deathbed confession type situation, and he says, do this thing, we should do this thing. And what I find so fascinating is that very rarely do we, uh, in communion moments, continue on to what happens next. And what happens next is the disciples begin to fight over who's going to be the greatest, over who's going to sit at God's right hand, over who's going to be the best out of this disciple situation. And Jesus points them back, and he says, hey, it's not about that. He says this. I love this. He says, then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not, uh, it is not to be like that among you, On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest. Whoever leads should be like the one serving. So the posture we take in a moment like communion is to put our ego, our pride, our position, our status, we put it away for a moment, and we remember who we serve, and we remember why we serve. It's a beautiful moment. So today... I want to invite us up to take communion. We're going to have a moment of just silence as you come up. If you enter through the middle and exit out the sides, communion is for those of us who say, I want to follow King Jesus. And so if that's not a decision you've made, I would ask you to refrain because the Bible says, like, if you do this the wrong way, you could die. Like, that's a, it's in scripture. So in this moment, I would love if we would get up, quietly grab the communion elements, and then we'll pray. Come forward.
as we make our way through the line, I, I'm struck by something that started with 13 men in a room we now have to wait in line for. I don't think that's a bad thing. I love the fact that it's up front that we have to make a step towards it. Right? Isn't that cool? For the first 1,500 years or so of the church, communion was the center of the gathering of believers. It wasn't the preacher preaching a message. Um, It wasn't set up and tear down. It was this. It was communion. It was sitting and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus had made for us. Lord Jesus, as we come before you today, I pray that with hearts emptied and ready to receive, remembering the sacrifice you gave for us, that we take these elements, acknowledging that you make it all possible. I pray that we would take this cup and recognize that your blood was spilled for us as a uh, offering to redeem and restore us back to right relationship with God and with his people. Let's take the cup. And as we take this bread, we recognize that your body was broken, beaten for us. That you went through a torture on our behalf. And if it was just us, you would do it again. Let's take the bread. Lord Jesus, today I pray that this communion would not be just a somber moment, but a celebratory moment, recognizing that what you've done is you've restored heaven and earth and the church. We, your people, we get to live in that tension of the here and also not yet. I thank you for that gift. I thank you for your body. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your sacrifice for us. In your name we pray. Amen. If we're real honest, guys, that bread is a little dry. Jesus' <sighs> body, he needs hydrate a little bit, right? Let's talk about it. Um, man, I'm excited to be with you guys. Um, my name is Jesse. Um, I serve our young people, our students. Give it up for our teenagers in the back. Let's go, teenagers. Yeah. We love our teenagers here. Um, I really do think you can measure a church by um, if they support their, their teens and their kids right? If they are putting their money where their mouth is, if they are supporting our young people, you can see the value in what they really believe and what they, uh, you know, what they want to see happen. And we really, I'll say this as a youth pastor, I am so supported by you guys as a congregation um, to help uplift our kids. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, Kids are amazing. So last week we started a new series called Contagious. And that's not a word that I'm a fan of. 
right? In the last few years, many of us feel like we've got a degree in uh, contagious viruses, right? Like, we've seen it happen so much that this word has almost lost some of its power because you can only hear it so much before a word just becomes another word. Um, But I have a five-year-old, and uh, his name is Grayson, and Grayson started kindergarten this last week. Um, Yeah, it's a big deal. He's at school all day. It's a big deal. Um, And we're on week two, and he's already stayed home from school today, right? Because he got a cough. He got a sneeze. He got the sniffles. And when you watch, if you've ever watched little kids interact with each other, like, one, five-year-olds are gross, right? They have no, uh, they'll touch anything. Like, they'll put things in their mouth. And what's crazy is you'll have, like, four or five-year-olds all standing this far from each other, talking at the same time. You ever see that? And they're like, and they're all doing the thing, and you're like, oh, that's, that's what's happening. That's where the sickness is coming from. And then what's amazing about kids is they come home and they share, right? So they come home, and you go down to give them a hug, and what's the first thing they do? They cough right in your face. And you're like, Love that kid. Love that kid right there. And so that's been Grayson this last week. And here's the thing that I realize is that just like sickness and viruses can be spread through close contact, I believe that values, beliefs, ideals can be spread through close contact with each other. And so the question today is how do we have a contagious faith? How do we live out there in a way that people go, there's something different about this person? There's something weird. Why do you have peace when you shouldn't have peace? Why do you have joy when you shouldn't have joy? Right? It's not this overt thing. Uh, I'm not saying be the guy that's weird in Starbucks, walking up to people like, hey, Brian, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Like, I'm not saying be that guy. But does your life exhibit Jesus in such a way that people are like, I want to catch a little bit of that, right? And so last week, Pastor John talked about reach. What do you guys think we're talking about this week? Redeem. Man, you guys are sharp this morning. I love it. Um, We are talking about redeem. Uh, The idea is that Jesus came to redeem us. It's not a word we use a lot, um, but essentially, without getting into the 17 versions of atonement theory this morning, um, essentially, Jesus has come to buy us back from our brokenness, to restore right relationship between man and God and man to each other. We as the church are called to be a redeemed community moving towards Jesus together. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. In fact, we're going to look at today, we're usually not perfect. We're usually messed up. We're usually broken. But there has to be something of why we gather together as a church. Why is it important that we're here? Why is it important that we have small groups? Why does this thing matter in a broken, fallen world? What's important about trying to live as a redeemed community together? So we're going to start today in, uh, guess what, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. Um, We have been in Luke for a long time, and we're going to be in Luke for a long time. It's good stuff. Luke chapter 10, last week Pastor John talks about the uh, 72 disciples of Jesus are sent out to heal, to preach, to teach, to be his representative in the community. And these 72, they're nondescript, we're not given their names, right? There's no one with a title, there's no one with a position or status. They are sent out 
And here, in verse 17, they return back. I'm going to read it right now. It says this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus is like the best, like, post-game coach says this. He says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, I don't, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't take joy in this temporary thing. Take joy in the fact that there's an eternity waiting for you. At that time, he had rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, but have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then turning to disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we would be like infants. That we wouldn't be like the prophets and kings and the wise men, but we would be here with open hearts, open minds to learn and to grow closer with you. In your name we pray. Amen. First idea this morning is that relationship is at the heart of discipleship. This thing called the church is at the heart of following Jesus. Um, We, in our society, we are not prepped for suffering, right? If I have to train my kids, I would rather train my kids for success than for suffering, right? We're taught to run away from hard things and from hard people. And when you get... 200 people in a room, some of y'all got some hard stuff going on, right? Amen. Some of us have some difficult challenges. And so our society, Western culture, whatever that means, teaches us that we should look away, walk away, run away from difficult things and difficult people. It is, um, I mean, I'll be honest, if I'm pulling off the freeway and I park at that light, and there's a guy with a sign there, my first reaction is not to engage that person in Christian love. My first reaction is to look down, look this way, fiddle with the radio, right? We are not taught to lean into suffering. We're not taught to lean into the difficult. And so when the Bible says to join together in a a group like this, it's not easy. Raise your hand if you've been hurt by a Christian before. Right? It's happened. It happens. And so to, to step into this place, to step into relationship is difficult. But it's at the heart of discipleship. When Paul is writing the letters to churches, he's not writing to individuals, right? He's writing to communities. There's no context in which the ancient authors of Scripture would have thought that you could be a Christian by yourself. Right? It's always within the context of community. We're told to take communion together. We're told to do life in a way together. Right? All of the challenges of socioeconomics that Paul addresses in the New Testament don't matter if you're by yourself. They matter when you're a community with each other. 
C.S. Lewis has this great quote about love that uh, I think speaks to my heart. It says this, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. When the Bible says that we need to love each other, that we need to be in community with each other, that does not mean you're going to have warm and fuzzies for every single person in this room. Right? It does not mean that every single person in this room, you're going to be like, I have a deep love and affection. I want to spend every day with Barb. Right? Actually, this is actually true. I would like to spend most days with Barb. She's, she's amazing. But that's not going to be the case. I guarantee there are some of you in this room that you wouldn't want to spend time with me. Right? You're like, that guy's difficult. He's annoying. He's kind of a know-it-all. Right, Brad? Yeah? See? <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Thanks for participating. We're going to have a conversation later. Um, but the reality is that this lovey feeling that we have, you're not going to feel for everybody in this room. In fact, there's so many people in this room that you can't. You can't. But this, this love that C.S. Lewis defines is it's this idea that I want the good for people in this room. So can you want the good for the difficult people in your life? Can you want good for that person in this room right now that you, if you ran to them at Safeway, you'd kind of try to walk the other direction? Right? We can want that good for each other as a community. Um, I love this. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this in James chapter 1. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion. Amen. Undefiled religion is to run to people who are hurting and broken. The orphans and the widows, the lowest rung of ancient society, to run towards those people. Now here's what I'm not saying today. I'm not saying that we put ourselves in positions to be abused. I'm not saying that you step into spaces where you're going to be uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally abused. But what I am saying is that we have to step into relationship. We have to enter into a space where someone can know us and someone can see us. There's an epidemic of loneliness in America. The Surgeon General, um, he came out with a study. It was 2018, so pre-COVID. 36% of people self-reported that they were lonely. That's before COVID. I don't know what the statistics are now, but can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah. And so the reality is this. That same study showed that loneliness, people that self-express themselves as lonely, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a lot of cigarettes, right? The idea that if you, <laughs> Brian's like, ah, oh, it's not too many. Yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's like a pack. Like a pack's not too much. <laughs> Nicole's shaking her head. <laughs> well, think about that. The negative side effects of smoking 15 pack cigarettes a day is equivalent to being lonely. Like, there's something uh, with us as people that we have more content than ever, right? We, we have unlimited access to television and podcasts and movies, and we're so occupied with content that we've lost relationship. You ever have a kid that says they're bored? That's the wildest thing on earth. It's like, my 11-year-old would be like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, How? We got Netflix, we got Hulu, we got Disney Plus, right? How are you bored? She has so much content, she doesn't know what to do with it all. And this is the same for us. We have so much content, but we don't have the context to filter it through. 
And I think this is Jesus' frustration with the religious leaders of his day, because they had all the content. They had the law and the prophets. They had the Hebrew Bible. They knew God, but they couldn't see him. They couldn't see the context that makes it all make sense. Context is important, and we only find context in community here. Speaking of Hulu and Netflix, um, did you know that you can find the first seasons of American Idol on Hulu? You guys know that? This has a point, I promise. Um, do you guys, who, who here was around in the early 2000s? Raise your hand. Yeah, man, early 2000s, best days, right? Um, I don't know if you remember American Idol. Who remembers, like, the first seasons of American Idol? Who watched those first seasons of American Idol? Come on. Yeah, some of you people. My family was all in on American Idol. We were watching the singers. We were waited on bated breath for the next episode. When it was time to vote, what did you get? You got to call in to vote, right? And we were, I was team uh, uh, Kelly Clarkson from day one, y'all. Um, and we were all in. Like, our family was all about it. And when I'd go to school, you know what me and friends would talk about? we talk about American Idol, right? Uh, when my parents would get together with friends, you know what they would talk be like, who are you voting for on American Idol? Are you a Justin Guarini fan or are you a Kelly Clarkson fan, right? That would tell you a lot about people, right, Barb? Yes, it would. And so it became this content, and the context was building a community. And what's funny is I went back and I watched one of those early episodes with my kids, because you show your kids thing from your childhood. You're like, hey, check this out. And none of it made sense anymore. Right? Ryan Seacrest is like, call in to 855-736, right? And Ava's like, can we call in? And I'm like, that number doesn't exist anymore. This is 25 years ago. This, there's no context to it anymore. There's no community around this thing anymore. This, is, this doesn't make sense. And this is kind of what being a Christian by yourself without community is like. You can have all the content in the world, but without the context of community, it doesn't make sense sense. Second thing today we can take from this passage is that redemption is found only in Jesus. Redemption is found in Jesus. We're talking about being a redeemed people, having right relationship to God, being restored to each other. Redemption is found in Jesus. The Bible tells us over and over that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, right? That it's found in him. And I believe that all things can be redeemed by Jesus. Our hurts, our heartaches, uh, the things that mess us up, our childhood trauma, all of these things, Jesus wants to redeem. And he wants us to step into community to be a part of a redeemed people. I love, Jesus cracks me up a little bit. You guys, uh, Jesus is like, who's watching Deion Sanders right now? Come on. I love it. Deion Sanders is, he's, he's cracking me up. Um, but Jesus is like a post-game like game coach here. The 72 come back, and they're like, Jesus, it was amazing. Even the demons listened to us. And Jesus, he gives them a moment. He hypes them up for a second. He says, uh, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning, right? So he hypes up. He's like, yeah, y'all did a good job. And then what does he say next? He says, look, I have given you the authority to do this, right? Can you imagine if a coach, after, this, after the team comes in, he's like, man, that was great, guys, but man. I was the one that made all that happen today. That's Jesus right here. He's saying, 
I was the one who gave you the authority. I was the one who gave you the power. I was the one, it says, to give you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, right? That I have the power to redeem. You guys are borrowing this. And don't take joy in the win today. Don't take joy in the game that we won, but take joy in the fact that your name is written in heaven, that there is an eternal promise for you, right? When he says the Satan uh, fell from heaven like lightning, uh, the Satan in the Bible, it's not always a proper noun. It's not always a name. Um, in Hebrew, it's the accuser. I saw the accuser fall like lightning. And this accuser, from the beginning of Scripture, seeks to manipulate us, seeks to separate us from God, seeks to try to get us to rely on our own wisdom and power instead of relying on Jesus. Um, can we do some theology this morning? Anybody here want to do some theology? Uh, I want to share with you. So when I'm with our teenagers, we go pretty heavy on theology because um, everybody here, whether you know it or not, you're a theologian. You have thoughts on God. You've thought about God. Maybe you're thinking about God right now. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're thinking about the Seahawks game. But you're a theologian. You have feelings. You, you try to understand maybe what God is and who he is. And so when I'm with our teenagers, we ask hard questions. You would be very impressed by your teenagers. They ask incredible questions most of the time. Sometimes the question's not incredible. Most of the time, they're incredible questions. And so we're going to do a little bit of theology this morning. Um, one of the things we do, we talk a lot about in youth, is this. That the Bible is not a rule book. If the Bible was a rule book, it'd be a really bad rule book, right? The Bible's not a rule book, but it's a collection of stories, of poems, of prophecies, of apocalyptic literature over the course of thousands of years. And all of these things are connected by a people who are entering into God's reality, Right, And so this story from Genesis to Revelation, um, it tells us how God interacts with his people. And the, all these little stories and parables and poems are connected by what we call meta-narratives. Meta-narratives. This is a, your fancy word for the day. And then what these meta-narratives do is they sit on top of the Bible, right, and they connect the different stories and the different histories to each other. If you're interested in this more, check out something like the Bible Project. They talk about these meta-narratives. They talk about these design patterns. And so what we have, one of my favorite meta-narratives in all of Scripture, is this meta-narrative that talks about a snake crusher. So if you would join me, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible. There's some theology here. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. So beginning of our Bible, we have Adam and Eve. They're walking with God in the Garden of Eden, and they are approached by a snake, a crafty creature. Um, we're not told explicitly that this creature is the Satan. We're not told that this is uh, who this is, but it is some sort of creature that seeks to interject himself into God's relationship with man, right? And he manipulates, he uses his words to trick Adam and Eve, and they eat and, of the fruit, and they don't follow God's wisdom. They follow their own. And so this is what God, in Genesis chapter 3, says to the snake. Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And this is the cool part to me. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In the beginning pages of Scripture, we're told that there is a person that's going to fix this problem of sin. 
beginning of time, we're told that there's a problem. There's chaos. There's sin in the world. There's things that seek to separate us from God, but God makes a promise that this will be fixed, that there is a person that is coming, a descendant of Adam and Eve, who will crush the head of the snake. And so if you're an ancient Israelite, you're looking for this person. You're waiting for this person, for a Messiah, right? For a Savior, for someone to make relationship with God and man, to restore that, to redeem that. And you're waiting. And then we get to uh, 1 Samuel. This is where the design pattern comes in. And we are introduced to a young man by the name of David, right? And so in the ancient world, if you read the story of David, you're asking the question, is David the snake crusher? Is David the one that's going to make relationship right with God? Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says this. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on, the fo- on his forehead. This is Goliath. David defeated the Philistine. Uh, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. He ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. So this is where we do the theology. This is where the design patterns come in, right? So in Genesis, God tells the snake, what are you going to do? You're going to eat dust, right? You're going to be a snake. You're going to eat dust. How does Goliath fall? He falls face first into the dust. Isn't that cool? Maybe it's just me. So David... He crushes, not only crushes the head of the snake, Goliath, but he removes the head of the snake, Goliath. Isn't this cool, the parallels here? Just me, Barb? It's good? Okay. Right? He removes the head of Goliath. And the way Goliath is described, by the way, the bronze of his armor and the scales are the same words in Hebrew that are used to describe a snake. All right? So we have this story of a man named David crushing the head of a snake. Of Goliath. And so again, if you're an ancient Israelite, you're looking at David and you're like, is David the guy? Is David the guy that's going to redeem us? Is David the guy that's going to fix it? And if you read David's story, he sure as heck wasn't, right? David fails, he falls, he can't redeem us because at the end of the day, he's still just a man. He's just human. And if you travel through the rest of the the Hebrew Bible, you'll find repeatedly Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're prophesying about this future man, this person who's going to come and make right relationship. And then in our passage today, we have Luke writes about this dude named Jesus, and what does Jesus give them power over? Specifically snakes, right? This is the design pattern. And in Revelation chapter 12... There's a really big snake, and it's called a dragon, and it's killed. It's not killed with a sword. It's killed with his sacrifice. From Genesis to Revelation, it is revealed to us that Jesus is our only source of redemption. Just like the ancient Israelites, what we oftentimes do is we are looking for things to redeem us. We look for people to make it right. We look to a spouse. We say, is this person going to fulfill my life, Right? And we get upset when our spouse doesn't fulfill our life. We look at our kids. We say, are my kids going to be the source? Are they going to redeem our relationship? Are they going to make this thing right? Usually not. We look to jobs, right? 
if I have the right job, if I have the right title, if I have the right uh, uh, profession, maybe my life can be redeemed. I can live a restored life. If I have the right money, the right bank account, live in the right neighborhood, all of these things, we're constantly looking for something to redeem us, to save us. And oftentimes, that is expo- it exposes anxiety. This, this quote is a little hard, but I'll, I'll read it to you guys today. John Mark Comer says this, your anxiety exposes your idolatry. Whew. What are you anxious about? What keeps you up at night? The question is, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? What are the things that, that, that you are relying on outside of God to save you? Is it a relationship? When that relationship fails, what does that do? Is it your job? These things that we try to define ourselves by, it exposes what we worship. Jesus is the only source of redemption we have. We are worship machines, and we will find something to worship. He came to redeem us, to buy us back to restore right relationship. The last thing today is this new family is available to us all. It's available to us all. I love, um, he says, turning to the disciples, he said privately, uh, blessed are the eyes that see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. I love this. There's no status, there's no title that you have to have to join this family. It is pure adoption. Welcome in. You become grafted into the family, and here you are. I love that, because it maybe you're like me, and your family tree is a little wonky. Anybody here got a wonky family tree? Yeah. Uh, about five or six years ago, my mom bought us all uh, Ancestry.com things, like the DNA tests. Um, and so we took the Ancestry.com thing, did the mouse swab, send it off. And can I tell you, this was very depressing for me, very upsetting, because I was hoping, praying, Brad, we can relate to this. I was hoping I'd have a little spice in my DNA, <laughs> right? I was hoping maybe like 2% Peruvian, right? Maybe like 3%, I don't know. I don't know. I wanted something, but I am... I mean, I wanted to be like maybe a little African, like, you know, Jason knows. Like, I wanted some spice. I wanted to, like, I wanted to mix it up. But here's the thing. I'm just a vanilla man. It's like English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh. Like, my family's never left this island. Like, they're there. Um, and it was, a, it was a bit depressing, right? And uh, I'm just like, man, I couldn't be something cool? Like, let me be Colombian? Like, I don't know, Ecuadorian? Um, we got none of that, none of that. We white, white. Um, and so, Xavier, it's not funny. Um, so the challenge is this. Um, that was sad. But then you scroll over, you go to like the next tab, and it lets you create a family tree. Right? You get to create a family tree. And so I'm like, I'm looking at this family tree, I'm like, oh, I got my mom. I know her. Cool. I got my, uh, got my sister. Got my half-brother? Cool. That's where the family tree stops for me. Right? 
It's wonky. It's out of shape. I got like four people that I really know. The rest, mystery. I don't know these Welsh people. I don't know who these people are. And so my family tree is a little bit uh, lacking. And I don't know if you've ever been in a space like this, but I'll tell you, on Friday, uh, I was with a group of people uh, at work, and we were doing icebreaker questions. Who here loves a good icebreaker question? Raise your hand if you hate an icebreaker question. Amen. Um, so icebreakers go around, and uh, I don't know how we get to this one, but it's like, name the time that you got into the most trouble as a kid, right? And we're sitting around this table, and people are going before me. And can I tell you, I was like, I'm not telling these people the worst thing I ever got into as a kid. Because the girl next to me was like, one time I got a B, and my parents were mad. And I was like, that's it? That's your trauma? Like, that's what you're sharing? Right? And I sat there, and I'm like, my stuff is way worse. Like, I'm not saying anything close to my real stuff, to my real trauma. And we step into spaces like this, and we're like, if these people knew what I've been through, my trauma, my past, my history, I don't think I'd be led into that family at all. My family tree is wonky. The people in my family are messed up, and I'm just like them. They don't, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't let me into the family. But the beauty of God's family is all of us are invited. Thieves on crosses, people that persecute Christians, liars, cheaters, thieves, orphans, widows. Wherever you sit today, you're invited into this family. And not only are you invited into this family, you're wanted and you're needed. We need you. We need your insight. We need your input. We need the way you think. We, we, we need your heart, your skills, your talents. Even if you think you have none of it, we need it. The thing I love about our teenagers, and I do love them, I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I thought... Teenagers were like rough draft humans. <laughs> right? A couple more tries and we'll get there. And when we came out of COVID, Pastor John came to me and he said, Jesse, what do you want to do? And I said, I guess I'll do something with teenagers. And that has been the most life-changing experience for me. Because pressing into people that Lord knows I didn't want to. Your kids, your teenagers, have helped lead me closer to Jesus. This is what we do. We press in to hard people, to hard situations. And we get led to Jesus in the most unforeseen ways. That's what this redemptive community is about. I, um, I don't go on Ancestry.com much anymore. I know what I am. But I got a notification that I got a uh, message on there um, about a year ago. And uh, I open it up, and it's from this lady. And she goes, Is your, do you have a relative named Barbara? 
And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my grandma on my dad's side, and I don't know him. And uh, this lady, she goes, well, that's my mom. I'm like, word? That would make you my aunt? So my sister and I, we call our grandma. This is how close we are to our grandma. We don't call our grandma. We call him Barbara. And I say, hey, Barbara, um, you have another kid? And you know what she did? She hung up the phone on us. <laughs> Babs was a little spicy that morning. She calls us back like 30 minutes later, and she goes, about a year after I had your dad, um, I got pregnant again and uh, gave her up for adoption. And I tell her, I say, Barbara, she wants to talk to you. Like, she wants to figure out who you are. This is a lady in her 60s. Like, she wants to know you. And uh, my grandma said, I got nothing to say to her. Don't want to talk to her. Cool, 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 cool. And so I got to reach out to this lady now and tell her that this family that you think you found wants nothing to do with you. To tell you that the brother that you thought you could find, he overdosed a few years ago, so you don't have a brother either. And I write this message, and it was long and drawn out, and it was very apologetic. I was, <laughs> I was like, hey, our family's a mess. Any answers you're looking for, we don't have any of them. We don't know this side of the family. They don't really, I call my grandma Barbara, for God's sake. Like, these are not people we are close to. Um, and she responded back in the most unexpected way. And she goes, I may not have a mom out of this, but I got a niece and a nephew. Right? So this lady who was pressing into something family. She thought she found her family, and yet she's rejected. She's hurt, but she still is pressing in to what she has. You are going to be hurt here. You're going to be let down by a Christian. You're going to place your trust in someone and they're going to betray it. But can I encourage you, urge you, to continue to press. And there are people here that want to love you, that want to walk alongside you. And you may not have a father or a mother here, but you may have a brother or a sister, a niece or a nephew, someone that wants to walk with you in this journey of faith, this journey of discipleship, to press into that. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants you to not have to rely on what you've gained from your ancestors, the people that came before you, but there's a new gift for you, a new family available to you today. And it's a redeemed one. We're walking in redemption. This process of sanctification is a lifelong process, and we get to do it together. I pray that you would step into a redeemed community. I pray that you would be here. I pray that you would join a small group. Um, I pray that you would come hang out with us in the youth group. Um, I pray that you would see this family as someone that wants you. Let's pray. Father God, we all got trauma. We all got history. We all got hurts and habits and hang-ups and heartaches. Thank you that there's a family for us that wants to invite us in, that needs us, that wants us, 
that wants us to be a part of life transformation and, and community change. And that it's not just an accommodation, like it's okay that here, but we really want us here. I thank you for that gift. I pray that today, no matter where we come from, we can know that we can walk closer to you. And that today we would know that we don't have to do it alone. We can't do it alone. Thank you for the gift of the church. That it is your plan A in this world. That there is no other redeeming source other than you. No politician, no job, no person other than you that can make our relationship to you right. I thank you for that gift. I pray we walk in that gift. I pray we walk together in that gift. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. community like discovery so we're going to go ahead and pass those baskets and while we're giving back to god through the overflow of what he's given us i'm going to uh, invite a couple of our small group leaders up i'd like you guys to get to know a few of them they already know that they're coming up so i'm not surprising them um, but i'm going to introduce you to them as they come up and uh, while we're passing baskets we get to get a little glimpse into um, their small group and also just their own call and their own feelings about small groups. So we have Barb and Donna, and uh, Chris is coming up, and Nicole is making her way up as well. Can we just give them a round of applause for being here? Not just for being here this morning, but all that being a small group leader represents. There's a lot of work that goes into it, right? Just cleaning your living room or going to somebody else's semi-clean living room or whatever. But preparing and praying for our groups and, and giving of themselves and allowing them their faith to be transparent. So I'm just thankful for them. So I have one question for them. You guys have a minute-ish, under or over, whatever, but a minute-ish to answer this. But I just, we want to know as a group, um, why are groups a big deal to you? I'm going to start with you, Barb. So I've been a part of a small group for about 30 years, and I haven't gotten tired of them. Um, but when I think of small groups, I, there's two pictures that pop into my head. One happened about 20 years ago. I was sitting around Darren Williams' uh, kitchen table. We were sharing God's word and life and successes and victories and troubles and that particular night, we also shared um, a pot full of warm, gooey Rice Krispie treats right out of the pot. We didn't even put them in a pan, right out of the pot. And that memory will stick with me forever. Um, the second um, picture that popped into my head is um, back when Moses was um, leading the Israelites, and they were in a battle. And as long as he raised his arms up, the Israelites were winning. But as soon as he got fatigued and lowered them, the, um, they started to lose. And so... 
Aaron and Hur stood next to him. They saw a need. They sat him down, and they each raised up his arm. And I feel like right then, that was his small group. And I need both of those small groups in my life. <laughs> Sorry. And I encourage you all to do that, too. It's been such a blessing for me. Love you, Barb. Thank you. All right, we've got Chris Davis, and I would encourage you guys, you can play along with us, actually. If you get out your little insert, we've got a small groups list, and you can find these beautiful people on this list, and, and maybe put a little star next to them if they look like a group you might want to belong to. So thank you, Barb. And Chris, here we go. Remember the question? What is the big, okay, what makes small groups a big deal to you? I, I didn't remember the question, um, but I just needed that segue. We need carpet pullers. We need painters. We need people that are going to come alongside us in change and in transition. And I remember uh, Kirsten and Greg were in the back. We started a small group, and I have some vivid memories of them pulling up carpet in our new home. And I remember them painting, and I remember them being there for us. And uh, we also need, like, meal-trained people. And we need people that are going to be there to support in our daily. And uh, that's what small groups do for us. I'm Nicole, and here's the deal. God is really big, right? He is way bigger than I can fully see clearly on my own. And so I need to be able to see God through other people's perspectives. I need to see God through Benita's eyes and Marielis's eyes and Kotoko's eyes. And I don't get to do that on a Sunday morning. I got to see God a little bit through Jesse's eyes this morning, and that was awesome because I love Jesse. But I Every single person in this room understands God a little bit differently, and that's not a mistake. That is a beautiful thing that God did and intended for us to be, and I am not complete without getting to see God through your eyes. So I love that part of small groups. My name is Donna, and I'm a part of several groups, and um, I, I feel like my reason, what is the word you said? The big deal. What is the small? I feel like it changes from year to year. I feel like some days I need a small group so I don't murder my children. And sometimes I need a small group so I uh, don't murder my husband. And, <laughs> and sometimes I just need accountability to stay in the word or to, uh, like Nicole said, see, see life through someone else's eyes because my world can get so, now that my children are older, I guess my life has expanded again, but it just can get so small and so narrow-minded. And um, I need people in my life. I I remember leading small group like 15 years ago and uh, got convicted about things that I was doing in that group that I probably shouldn't have done that I didn't know was a problem and like just needing accountability and help and community and now um, we're going to be starting a Bible study because now I feel like I want to help people learn more about the word and so we're going to start an experiencing God study next month if you want to join my husband and I or we have a women's group if you want to join some ladies and I we have lots of great stuff great. Thanks, you guys, so much. Thanks for your ministry. If you guys want to continue to either chat with them, they're going to be down in the rotunda, along with several other group leaders. We have a table down there because, again, this is our, our official Sunday of small groups launch, and we're so excited. You know, it's so great to hear um, what makes 
small groups a big deal to these leaders. And my prayer this morning for all of us is that small groups become a big deal to each of us and a major part of our, our walk with the Lord. All right, well, let's continue in worship. Please stand and join me. <laughs> Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet You promise still stand Great is your faithfulness You Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You never fail me. I know the night. I know the night won't last Your word will come to pass And my heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still enough And keep me You never say 
Father God, we thank you that you've never failed. I know that there are times in my life where I felt like I failed or where I felt like maybe you didn't mean what you said or what I thought you said. And I found out later that you always knew what you were doing. God, you made a way when I didn't think that there would be a way. And you changed a heart that I didn't think would ever change. And you have done things, miracles that I can't unsee. And so as I push forward and I see the impossible and I see things that are just going to take a miracle, God, I know that even when it fails, you don't. Even when I fail, you don't. God, I thank you that you are powerful and amazing and you are so much smarter than I could ever be. And I thank you that your will is going to be done. God, you made a way, you will make a way. God, help me keep that faith. Pray the same for everyone in this room, God. We love you in Jesus' name. I just want to point a couple things to you. Grab a couple more of these. If you have some more people you'd like to invite to fall lunch, um, in two weeks, we'd love for you to bring your neighbors and friends and family that need a home church. And last, um, we've got the small groups launch going down right in the rotunda. There's snacks there too. So grab some snacks, go meet a group leader, and get plugged in today. You guys do it. Lastly, if, uh, if you've got five or ten minutes and want to help us tear down, turn this place from a church into a school, we would love to get your help. And you can go see Kristen right over there, and she'll get you plugged in with something real easy, and you'll get to meet some more people. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. This is a great way to kick off your week. Have a great fall.